Welcome to episode three of the Everything Leagues podcast. We're recording Sunday night. We just finished watching the Blackhawks Leafs game. Nick, on a scale of one to that TFC loss, how much of a disaster was that first period? Uh, the fact that you had to bring that game up earlier today. Um, I mean, easily I could say that both teams, TFC and the Leafs tonight, both had bad PDOs. That's tough. It was like the first, like how many shots did it take before Chicago was already scoring like three or four goals? It was crazy in that first period. Yeah, I didn't watch, I didn't watch much of the TFC game, but I will say that, you know, maybe... They couldn't have got worse goaltending than, than we did in the first. Now, I know some were maybe not his fault, but tough start. I mean, it, it gave me a bit of deja vu. I know last year with it was a Sunday night game. We had Sparks in that. Uh, not the best of, of outcomes there. I think it was the OT loss. And, I mean, this year it just seemed like deja vu. So, it's been... We haven't recorded in two weeks. Uh, since then, we, we saw an OT loss to Washington... A shootout loss or shootout win to Philadelphia, a three-one win against the Kings, an overtime win against Vegas, and then a shootout loss to the Flyers. So they had a bit of a, a point streak going with with five points and five straight. Sorry, not five points. Points in five straight games, and that ended tonight. Nick, let's try to sum it up quickly. If you were to say over the last week, who would be your three stars of the week? Um, first I'll go Justin Hall just because I don't think that we're, we as a podcast have really talked about him enough. Um, in the last week, I guess on Twitter, the, the, the Hall hype has really started to, to reach its peak and for, for good reason. He's been, he was a player that last year didn't really get a chance. And then this year we're seeing a player that we really expected to see, uh, with the Marlies a few years ago. Um, we're seeing the same player that we saw, um, in the Marlies. He's, He's a guy that can really put pressure on players as they enter the zone. He forces a lot of dump-ins, and he has that that poise and patience when on the breakout that, you know, there's no rush to really move the puck up the ice when he has the puck, and he usually makes a really good decision, and, and we were starting to see the Leafs really, really um, benefit from him being on the ice. Um, who's your first star? Yeah, I think, I think we're going to talk... I think we're going to talk about Hall a lot tonight because he's one of my three stars too. Uh, let's hear your other two quickly. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll go Kapanen. Um, I feel like he's picked up his game since that early slow start. He he went back down to uh, to Mikheyev's line with Kerfoot and he looked really good. Um, really just dangerous in transition, something we already knew. And then even when he was uh, bumped back up to the Tavares line last game, uh, not the one that we just watched, but yesterday's game, I thought he was effective as well. And then... The third star, which who really should be the first star in our hearts, is uh, William Nylander. I mean, I feel like every single night we're saying that he's one of the best players on the ice, and now we're starting to see the points really start to accumulate. He now has 15 points in 19 games, so a pace for 64 points um, over over 82 games. So I think he can continue to, to improve on that. I'm hoping that he can get closer to 70 but uh, we'll see how he do how he does. How about your other two stars? I had Nylander as well. I think, I mean, that one should be quite obvious. He's just had an outstanding start to the year. He seems to be the most consistent scorer at this point. I thought that Matthews, Janssen, Nylander line was pretty dominant tonight. I know the rest of the lines weren't great, but that's a line that you can count on. And 
I mean, it was it was Nylander versus Nylander out there, and I think Matthews likes playing against Kane. So uh, whenever they play Chicago, it seems to be fun. So, I mean, I think Nylander is kind of the no-brainer of, of one of the three stars for the last week. Uh, and then the last one I had, I didn't have Kapanen, but I had Frederick Anderson, I think. I mean, games like tonight, you, you really want to wrap Anderson in bubble wrap. Uh, obviously, he's one of the better goalies in the league, and uh, with the Leafs, whether it's been Sparks or Hutchison, they haven't really had a, they haven't had a Leonard or a Halak type backup, um, the more expensive type because of their cap situation. And uh, I think Anderson just loves the month of November for some reason. So uh, he was one of my three stars as a result. Yeah, it's so funny that as soon as I think it was November first or November second, as soon as that month turned over we saw the Frederick Anderson that we've been seeing for years. Like, they should just tell him that it's not October, like every October. Just change then, the calendar? Yeah, just change the calendar or something. Just tell him it's November already, and, you know, maybe we'll, we won't we won't have that, like, bad first start, uh, first month from him. Yeah, I think, so, going back, because it's been, we recorded two weeks ago uh, today, so uh, since then... I mean, back then, I think we were talking about how Anderson had a bit of a slow start. We weren't concerned. Um, so it was, it was really no surprise that he, he's turned it around since then. But uh, So what's happened since then? We saw Tavares got hurt. Um, we saw Marner get hurt. He's going to be out four weeks. We just figured that out today. Uh, Timothy Lilligren got hurt with the Marlies last night. It didn't look good. He didn't skate off. Don't forget Nick power. Robertson. Nick Robertson broke his finger. And then... Uh, I think we would have expected Hyman to be back by now. Uh, that didn't happen. We do have Dermot back, who's playing quite well. Uh, I almost gave him a nod as one of my three stars, but I mean, couldn't fit him in. And then uh, we still haven't seen... I don't know if we've seen Barry back to his, his complete self. I thought he played well tonight. Uh, obviously, when you're, when you're down... I think the Leafs were down three, four goals early. Uh, it, that's the Barry's type of game where you can just push the pace and pinch and be aggressive. So he looked better tonight, but uh, still can't buy a goal. So I think based on based on the last two weeks, I think the story's been injuries. And, you know, I know they, they've gotten, before tonight, they had points in five straight, but I don't know if we could have been happy with all five of those games. Yeah, I agree with that. I It's nice to see Tavares and, and Muzzin come back to the lineup. Uh, and obviously Dermot. But it feels like as soon as you know they became healthy and now we're waiting on Hyman, that Marner's out. But I think that a lot of those, I don't want to call them excuses, but reasons why the slow start was a slow start are starting to kind of clear up. Um, you know, Anderson... I forgot Muzzin was hurt. Yeah, exactly. We lost Muzzin too. It's, they had so many injuries that it was so easy to forget one of them. Um, so, I mean, once Hyman comes back... I think that we should start seeing this team really compete. Uh, we'll get more into the the some of the the, the present issues, um, like Marner, like what this lineup's going to look like when Marner's out, and they're um, they they just can't really generate any high danger chances, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, yeah, let's let's get into that. So, I mean, my first when I prep for this before the game. Uh, I was, it, it kind of, tonight's game kind of ruined it, but over the last five games, so uh, prior to tonight, so five games ago, 
OT loss to Washington. There was two even strength goals allowed. And then the shootout win against Philly, they just allowed one even strength goal. The 3-1 win against the Kings, no even strength goals were allowed. Uh, against Vegas, a 2-1 overtime win, just one even strength goal allowed. And then the shootout lost to Philly, one even strength goal. So they had this great trend, at least defensively speaking, where, I mean, four straight games, there's one or less even strength goals. I mean, they've had some issues on the penalty kill, uh, a couple fluky goals as well. Um, but it, it really looked like the, the even strength defense was better than, I mean, definitely what we've seen in previous years. Uh, I guess some of the credit to just having a deeper blue line. I give some of the credit to guys like Kerfoot, who have kind of stepped in and, and really played a good role. But I think it's not the defense that has been the main focus. It's been the offense. And what we expect from the Leafs is a ton of high danger chances, and we just haven't seen that. I mean, we've seen more point shots. Uh, when you When you see that or when you hear that, uh, what do you think is the root cause there? Do you have any any theories for why the Leafs aren't getting as many high-danger chances? Yeah, I think that my opinion might be different from others uh, pertaining to this. When I look online, I see that a lot of people are blaming, you know, the Leafs are being told or, or whatever that they need to be thinking about defense and, and playing better defense is coming to the expense of offense. I'm not so sure that that's the issue with yeah, this team. Yeah, I do team. see that a lot. Yeah, I don't think that's really the issue. I don't think that, you know, when I think about a team playing more defensively, I think of two defensemen staying back. I think of more dump-ins and not a very aggressive forecheck. But if you really watch the Leafs, you see Riley pinching and stepping into the offense. You see the same thing with Barry. I've seen Cody Cece step up into the play quite often, more than I really expected. So I don't think that it's it's yeah. that's the problem when it comes to them not generating high danger scoring chances. I think it's once they they get into the zone, and you know the the team the Leafs have a lot of good transition players and they can get into the zone with the puck with possession pretty often and they have been over the last two weeks when we've really been seeing this issue, and even before. I think it's once they actually set up that's when we see the team getting kept to the outside. We saw it a lot in the late stages last year in the Boston Bruins series. Uh, and now we're seeing it against teams like the LA Kings and against Vegas. And even last night we saw it. So I think that it's it's once they actually get into the zone, they get kept to the outside and they have to put the point the puck back to the point and throw point shots if they really want to generate anything. Yeah, so you touched on the Babcock theories online. I think the, the one issue I have with that is over the last you know, two, three years, the Leafs have been either a league leader at even strength offense or very close to it. So I don't buy that Babcock all of a sudden changed his style. I mean, I think he's been trying to get them to play better defense for for years now, and I don't think it's it's suddenly, he suddenly changed his message. Uh, so I, I don't really buy that. I mean, I can get, I mean, if you if you really want to blame like a new assistant coach or something, then maybe you have something there, but uh, I think it's more like I, I'm going to focus more on the players. I think uh, they do have better offensive offensive weapons, whether it be you know Tyson Berry uh, over a guy like Hainsey or or Zaitsev. Uh, I think switching from Marlowe and Brown, even though Brown's having a good year, uh, I think switching to guys like whether it be Mikhaev or Trevor Moore, I think that's a bit of an upgrade. Um, so. 
I, I think part of it's injuries where you, you miss Tavares, you miss uh, Haim, and I know people don't like to blame injuries, but I think whenever you, when they did have Tavares sitting in the in the press box, I think the Leafs are just, I don't even think they're uh, an much above above average team without Tavares. Like most teams aren't. When most teams lose their top center, they're, they're not the same. So uh, I do think we'll start, we'll see some better numbers. As, as the season goes on, but I'd like to see less point shots. Uh, another thing I've noticed is, like, there's really not many stretch passes anymore. Have you noticed that? In, in comparison to last year? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that they're less noticeable this year. And when there were stretch passes last year, because the defense really only had um, two or three players, let's say Riley, Gardner, Dermott, and then, I mean, that was pretty much it last year. I wouldn't really trust Hainsey, Zaitsev to make that pass. Um, I guess you can kind of include Muzzin once they made that trade, but I think that it was a lot more documented last year when they were doing the stretch pass just because a lot more were being picked off or a lot of them were, you know, them just flipping the puck on, into the neutral zone. This year they're a lot more equipped to make that stretch pass, and I, I wouldn't say that they've been doing it less. I just think they've been more successful doing it because they're a lot more well-equipped to do it. Um, I'd, I would trust Riley, Dermott. Now they have Tyson Berry on the right side to make that pass. Hall isn't isn't too bad of a passer. Um, so I couldn't really say... It's tough to say whether it's happening less or more, but I definitely think that's a lot more successful this year just because of the players that they have. Yeah, it's been... I mean, there's been some frustrating games here where it's been kind of low-event games. Uh, they won 3-1 against the Kings, but... I think a lot of people thought they should have been generating more chances there. Um, I think Vegas is just outstanding defensively. Uh, like Mark Stone, they got great wingers. Riley Smith, Marsha Show, uh, William Carlson's good defensively. Uh, Max Pacioretty's a good two-way two -way winger. And the guys just win battles. So I'm a big fan of that team. So I, I didn't fault them too much against Vegas. Uh, I think with Philly, not sure what to think, where they have... I mean, guys like Kachuria, they can really shut you down. Uh, and obviously the Leafs were playing a bit short with when, when Marner got hurt. But I think the defense is filled with much better puck movers. Uh, it, it is a much deeper group. I still, I know CC takes a lot of heat, but I, I think I'm a little bit impressed with him, like relative to my expectations, because I had very, very low expectations. And... I don't mind him. Like I, I don't think he's completely horrible. Uh, definitely a player with some faults, particularly his skating. But uh, I, I wouldn't say he's he's as bad as, as Zaitsev, for example, or Roman Polak when he was on the Leafs. So uh, I'll take that. I think it's definitely going to be a big week this week uh, in terms of the fan reaction because, I mean, Islanders on Wednesday, and that's in Nassau Coliseum, so it's going to be a loud crowd against Tavares. Uh, then you got Boston at home on Friday, which is always uh, going to cause... The, the hot take generator. That is going to be the hot take generator, those two games combined. And then you have Pittsburgh on a back-to-back. -back. Um, Pittsburgh's also going to be on a back-to-back, -back, so it's, it's a little bit fairer, but... Uh, it's going to be probably a Hutchison game, and it's in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, you're going to be up against Crosby-Melkin. So that's it's going to be an interesting week, to, to say the least. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I tweeted earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, saying that I really wanted them to bank some points against this this Vegas, Philly, Chicago week. Um, and then this week, I mean, you're playing three, the Islanders, one of the, the hottest teams in the league. I don't get how they keep winning. It's, they're the PDO Masters over there. They're, they're goaltending again. Yeah, Grace has been good. Grace. <laughs> Everyone thought last year that, it, you know, they got good goaltending and here come the Islanders. They're going to crash down and here they are again. Yeah, Grace, the top two goalies in save percentage. I don't know if this is updated after the Leafs game, but right now it's one Grace and two Leonard. So both of the Islanders goalies from last year. Uh, Grace is at 942. Leonard was at 935. I'm, I'm guessing this is an updated because I know he led in a bunch of goals tonight, but uh, somehow that team has just been a goalie factory. Uh, so, I mean, I'd like to win all three of those games next week, especially the first two. Um, but it'd be nice if we had a strong game from Hutchison on that on that Saturday to kind of put some put some nerves at ease. Um, I don't think I don't think every goal tonight was his fault, but the first goal the first goal was rough, and I mean he got one post as well. So it, it's just. After after last season with with Sparks, I think everyone's kind of there's an extra focus on Hutchison. And Hutchison wasn't that good with the Marlies last year, so it's it's not like he's super proven or anything. Um, but it, I mean, Cascasuo is doing well with the Marlies, but I I don't think they're gonna pull the pull that switch uh, within the next. I think they're gonna give Hutch at least one more game. Yeah, and I don't know, like Cascasuo. Has was really good at the end of the last year, and he's he's been good this year as well. I, I don't know if I would really take that just yet and say that that's something that that that's a big enough sample, or or his game has been so dominating that I'd be comfortable bringing him up as the backup and say for sure he's going to be better than Michael Hutchison. Well, yeah, he had a he had a eight ninety six save percentage last year in the regular season. So yeah, exactly, yeah, and that's the that's the AHL. Yeah. So just quickly coming back to the generating of high danger chances, the Leafs, you know, having trouble with that. This week they play the Islanders and Boston. Boston, very good team at keeping teams out of those dangerous areas. We saw that last year. We saw that the year before. My biggest concern with uh, the Leafs going forward, and I'd love to, I want to hear your opinion about this, is if they're having trouble against a team like the Kings, and I know Babcock said that they're they're a hard team. After that game, he said that that game was beautiful and that both teams, you know, really had to earn their ice and and whatnot. But the Kings aren't a very good team this year in terms of expected goals against. And now you're going up against a red hot goalie on Wednesday with the Islanders, and then you play a very good stingy defensive Boston team. Uh, I think that my biggest concern is. If you're having trouble scoring or, or generating good chances against teams like the Kings, how are you going to go up against some of the best defensive teams in the league? Uh, would you agree with that? I think the last week they've almost played almost like a Boston Bruins type style where you don't you don't give up many. This is omitting tonight's game. Right. Uh, again, Sunday night when we were recording here, uh, I thought the even strength defense was was strong. And Boston last year really didn't score much at 5-on-5. Five five. They were a team that's just going to shut you down. And then when 
their power play gets out there, they're lethal. And that's what we haven't really seen from the Leafs. I think a strong power play would take a lot of pressure off, uh, get guys like Barry feeling good or, or someone like Andreas Janssen, uh, get their confidence up. Uh, we really haven't seen that. And tonight, I noticed they actually, now that Mar- Marner's not in, so we don't see the full power play, but uh, they didn't have Marner, sorry, they didn't have Matthews and Nylander on their one-timer side. They had them on on the opposite side. I'm hoping they stick with that. And then when Marner comes back, if this unit is, is strong, I wouldn't mind putting Marner on his own unit like they did back in the in the Bozak JVR days. Right. Um, where you have, because they don't really... They don't really uh, have lopsided ice time in terms of power play one and power play two, like we see in like Washington. Uh, I wouldn't mind if if this unit catches on fire here. I wouldn't mind putting Marner on his own unit. What do you think of that? I think we talked about that two weeks ago when Marner is on the ice on the power play. We want it on his stick, and you had a really good article actually, kind of showcasing when they're on their one timer side how it's really difficult for Marner to kind of get into those dangerous areas and and go high to low. It's just, you don't want Marner taking too many shots. Like, it's not... I know for the most setups, it makes sense where it's Pasternak, Ovechkin, Patrick Lani had a gorgeous goal the other night. Uh, but, but with Marner, you do not want to revolve your power play around his one-timer. And even Matthews. Matthews doesn't have a big-time one-timer. I think his wrist shot has tons of deception from that left side. And I, I think watching Nylander and... And Matthews tonight, I, I like the power play a little bit more. Um, not, I'm not. That's not taking away anything from Marner. It's just I like having Matthews and a right shot on on not on their one timer sides, at least for this team. And then, like Marner can run his own unit. We know that. We we watched him play with with JVR and Bozak and have a ton of success. So. I mean, when Marner comes back, it's going to be four weeks from now, at least it sounds like. But uh, I hope they do at least something different. I don't want them to go back to the one-timer setup. I think even what they had last year was was working better. And, and tonight, I thought Janssen's goal, uh, I don't know if you saw that. Where... Yeah, it was, it was great. They went low and then brought it out. Janssen was right in the slot. It was a great play. Yeah, and if that's gonna, if that's gonna, if those kind of goals are going to happen, then you got, need to get Tavares back as the net front. And actually go to him a bit more. I think some at, at the end of last year, they didn't go to him enough. Because um, the old setup that worked great was just Marner feeding JVR. I like that to continue, where you just feed Tavares down low instead of JVR. Yeah, it works. I mean, it's, it's funny. I think it was last week. I can't remember what game it was, but they actually switched Matthews and Marner on their their offsides. Sorry, not on the non-one-timer side. And within like 20 seconds, they had a really good chance. And I think everyone was started saying, oh, well, now they're going to change it. Now they're going to change it. And then they went back to the one-timer side. I mean, what what you mentioned, Stamkos and Ovechkin, and even last year um, with with the Panthers, they had Mike Hoffman and, and his one-timer, who also, it was very, very, very effective. But the thing with Matthews is, like you said, he doesn't have a great one-timer, and you know, he really doesn't, you don't need to have a good one-timer to have an effective power play. Right. We saw that last year and the year before with the Leafs. So I don't think you really need to rewrite the book with the Leafs. I think you just need to, and even, I think it was a game after that sometime, probably, uh, I think it was the Kings game where Matthews had two one-timer opportunities 
the goalie made both saves, then he just took a wrist shot and it went top corner and it went in. I think you're almost trying to put Matthews in some sort of Ovechkin spot. And like, can you imagine if if Washington took Ovechkin and put him on his on his non one timer side and just told him to take wrist shots? Like, no one would ever do that. Right, and I think it's just it's just you don't need to change it where you don't need to be you don't need to conform to every other power play that's successful. Yeah, and it gives teams a different look than than what they're used to. Um, I don't think for Matthews it matters too much. Like I think he's got a decent one timer. Uh, I think I don't think his wrist shot's too effective. Too affected. Sorry, it's definitely effective, uh, but it's not too affected by by playing on one side versus the other. But uh, for me, it's it's more about Marner. It's more about uh, I I like Tavares as the net front. Uh, I don't mind him as in the middle, but it's something wasn't working there. So they need to change something. Uh, I would not go back to that again. Um, so I do think, I mean, if you can fix the power play, I think it takes a lot of pressure off or a lot of the focus off the five on five scoring. But um, in terms of the five on five scoring, I think there's, I mean, I can't stand those low danger point shots. And the other thing I'll say is they kind of miss Matt Nazem Kadri there. I like I like Kerfoot. I think he's been outstanding. Um, I am starting to, after a hot start, I'm starting to cool on Makayev and, and Goche a bit. Uh, I don't think Makayev's a great passer. I don't think Kapanen's a great passer. So I think that line's kind of was kind of lacking a bit some nights where uh, they could score off the rush. But I mean, unless unless it's on Kerfoot's stick, they don't really have much passing there. Uh, and then the fourth line right now, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on the fourth line specifically. I mean, they're uh, they're almost like a face-off get-off line, it feels. They're taking defensive zone starts. Um, they're really not a force offensively, and they're not being used in a role to be uh, effective offensively. So what's your thoughts on A, the fourth line, and B, how they're being used? Well, I'm actually pretty surprised with the fourth line. When I saw that they were used so much... Um in the defensive zone on defensive zone faceoffs, I really thought that that was, I think it was 80% at one point that they were getting defensive zone faceoffs, which is just crazy. It's something ridiculous. Yeah. And I thought that was more of a, of a thing because Tavares was out and they just wanted Matthews to always be in the offensive zone, which I was, you know, at the time I was okay with that, but now that Tavares is back and they're still using it and now you're using that and that fourth line really is getting, I don't want to say destroyed, but they're they're not doing well at five on five. Even if they win the face off, let's just say at best, if you're if you're doing the face off get off, you're now trying to get out of the zone, and you have one or two players getting off the ice, usually Nick Shore and let's say Gauthier. So the chances of you getting up the ice with possession into the offensive zone with two guys changing is is so low that half the time the other team's just going to get the puck and bring it back into your own end and now you have whoever let's say Matthews jumps over the boards now you have him spending a shift in his own end and then to to add to that when you think about how many shifts really start with a face-off there's so many shifts that start on the fly that kind of just reserving your fourth line players and making roster decisions based off of having them in the defensive zone and take face-offs just seems kind of non-effective especially if if they're gonna get destroyed anyway at five at four uh, at five on five. Sorry. Yeah, I'll say I, I think I like the usage a bit more than you do. I think there's so many of these rules now where the attacking team gets to pick the side of the face off, whether it be on 
I mean, I think one is if you if you push your own net off. Um, I don't know about icing. I think icing you might be able to pick the side, um, but having Goche and Shore out there, it's just you have great faceoff guys. So I I and if you don't really want them in the offensive zone, like I haven't noticed. I wouldn't call either player a great scorer by any means. I wouldn't call either player a great playmaker by any means. Um, if if you're gonna play both of them, I'd like I don't mind the strategy. If you're gonna play one, um, and you're only gonna have one faceoff specialist on that line, and you don't know what side the faceoff is gonna be on, then I would probably use them a bit less in that role. Uh, I think part of the issue is you don't have Hyman on the Tavares line right now. So and you don't want Marner taking faceoffs because he's brutal at them. Um, he's also hurt now, but back when he was playing, he was pretty brutal at them. Uh, so you didn't really have a right shot faceoff guy for that line. Obviously, with Matthews and Elander, you have you have a guy that can take faceoffs on each side. But I'm not sure you want them taking defensive zone faceoffs given their skill sets. So um, and then and then Kerfoot doesn't really have a a right shot faceoff guy for him. So I don't mind how they're used. I'm just curious, uh, and we're not going to see it now for a month uh, at least, but when when this team has a full lineup, if, if Moore is on the fourth or Mikhaev is on the fourth, do you think it's Timoshov coming out, or do you think it's it's Nick Shore? I think it's Shore. Um, I've liked Timoshov. I thought he's... I, I, I used to be a really big fan of Nick Shore. Especially when he wasn't on the Leafs, I really wanted the Leafs to get him, and then he went to the KHL, and it was kind of difficult to to track his games. But I've been, I mean, other than his faceoff ability, I've been pretty underwhelmed thus far by his game. I think Timoshov is a lot more noticeable out there, and he he's heavy. It's it is crazy because it's I really only saw him play heavy hockey before this year in the playoffs with the Marlies, and his consistency. Was something I'm not going to get too too much into Timoshov on the Marlies. I think a lot of people know kind of what his his downfall was there. But I mean, since he's come up, he's been awesome, uh, and I think he's earned his spot. Whether he should be in a playoff lineup, I'm not completely sure just yet. But he's been the the best player out of the Timoshov, Gauthier, and Shore line. Yeah, um, I'm still a big fan of Nick Patan. If they can somehow, I, I don't know how they would do it, but bring them up when when they're at full health it looks like that's pretty slim to none now but I, I'm a big fan of Nick Patan he, he goes back to the HL and he he dominates down there and he's, he's a factor on a fourth line and I, I don't think it's going to be used like this when Hyman's back I hope it's not and at that point if you're playing a team like Boston let's say in the first round again and you have Bergeron out there against Tavares that Tavares line you want to win you want to get as many chances as you can when your Matthews lines out, when the third lines out, and when the fourth lines out. So you want to win that fourth line versus fourth line battle. And I just don't see that happening with a Gauthier, Shore, Timoshov line right now. So I'd, I'd love to see guys like Patan, uh, maybe even Pontus Aber get a chance on that line. Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think last the last playoff series against the Burns, I thought the, the, the line of more... Gochi and Ennis was very effective against Boston, I think. Uh, a little bit surprisingly, uh, given I wasn't expecting Gochi to have a great series, but uh, I think Ennis and Moore really played well off each other. They could both move the puck. Uh, Moore was pretty heavy. Ennis played pretty heavy, even even though he's a little guy. 
Um, with Timashov, I see that skill set. Uh, he, I thought he played fairly heavy with the Marlies. Just he is a, he's kind of big for his size, um, and he just he works hard. He's a decent skater. He's a good passer. Um, I just thought you know there's so much competition right uh, in the Leafs organization that he had to beat in order to get this spot. And I, I'm guessing his waiver status helped, where he'd have to go on any waivers and they didn't want to lose him. Um, but I mean, there was Agostino, there was Marchment, there was Engvall. Uh, there's Patan, uh, and then you have guys like Matt they, Reed. They brought in Shore, Matt Reed, uh, Makayev coming over, a new player. So, just it was so difficult to see a lane. But to his credit, I mean, he's great on the forecheck. Uh, he he's heavy. He wins battles. He's almost like almost reminds me of Trevor Moore out there a lot. Which you know, I'm a huge Trevor Moore fan. So, uh, I would. They don't have to make a decision now because Martyr's going to be out. Um, so they're going to have an extra spot. Uh, it looked like it might have been Spezza going on waivers. Um, if if Hyman was back next game and Marner's not hurt, uh, who, would, who would you have put on waivers? Would you have put Nick Shore or would you have put uh, Jason Spezza? And Hyman's back. So I would, I would probably put Nick Shore. Um like I was saying, you before, put sh- short in the lineup or short on waivers? On waivers, sorry. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, if, if Hyman's back in the lineup, you have that right shot. I've, I'm not, I, I was a fan of the fourth line being used like that at first when Tavares was out of the lineup. But I mean, once Tavares and Hyman are back, I don't really see a reason why you keep, you know, that. You can keep the fourth line out against defensive zone stars, but I just don't see a reason why to, you know, you need to have that big of a spread i'd like to hear how i I know in the past you haven't been a huge gochi fan and i've been really high on him and i feel like i've kind of cooled off on him in the last couple weeks uh if you had to make that decision once Simon and Tavares are back between spezza and gochier who would you want in the lineup Uh, well i think gochier got off to a great start whether it be training camp or or just the start of the season like because they got Spetsa in shore, I was expecting them to be the fourth line center, uh, and and that Goche just outplayed them in in preseason, so he earned that spot. Now it feels like he's a lock for the lineup the rest of the season. That's how it feels. I don't know if that's the case. I would hope that he's not. Like I hope if he does fall off, that they consider uh, either playing Shore with two wingers or Spetsa with two wingers. Uh, but I just I, I would keep Gochi there for now, and maybe with Timishov and like I, the the one nice thing about the Marner injury, and I know it's tough to find one, but if if we could find a nice thing about the opportunity, it's it's that you get to see Spezza, you get a little bit longer to evaluate before you have to put someone on waivers, and and maybe they get a call up. I mean, I think someone will come up. Uh, the Leafs are going to have a ton of cap room if, if Marner hits LTIR, which I'd expect them to. So we could see probably two call-ups. We could probably see Marinson back. Um, and then the Leafs have some options now up front. It doesn't have to be Patan. They could go with someone more expensive. They could go with an Engvall. I know Friedman mentioned him. Uh, I think on Saturdays, I think it was Saturday night he mentioned him. Might have been the game before as a potential call-up. Uh, there's also Korshkov, who's a little bit more expensive. 
Um, so you can't afford those guys now if, if Marner hits LTIR. Uh, who would you who would you guess in terms of who the forward called up is? Uh, I think I think Patan should be a lock just because even when he goes down to the Marlies, I mean he looks like a step better than everyone else on the ice. Babcock might not be the biggest fan of him, but I think that he still adds value to the team when he's on that fourth line. He's he's a threat when he's in the offensive zone and. I think we've seen him play decent enough off the puck that, you know, to, to have him on that line. And um, I was a, I'm a big Pontus Aberg fan, but I think Patan still looks a lot better than him uh, and should deserves to be. I'd be interested with Engvall. I think that he's he's a good skater for his size and he's he's a good transition player and he, he's responsible in his own end. So I think that he could really kind of like in, in a similar way to Timoshov, just impressed when he comes up to the Leafs. I, now that you say that, I didn't know about that Friedman said that. I think that's pretty interesting. And I don't know how much we can read into preseason lines, but I know at the start of camp, they had Engvall. I think it was either with Shore. I think it was with Spezza, actually. Spezza and Moore. I think that was the line. And it seemed like that was kind of their their first crack at a fourth line. Like, let's see what this does. And Engvall didn't play too well, I didn't think. And then we saw Goche play very well, and, and things kind of changed quickly. So, I mean, Engvall was not this preseason, but the preseason before. I thought he was very effective. Uh, he's off to a hot start with 12 points in, in 13 games. Um, so, I guess we could see it. I mean, he's been playing mostly center. I think he is a good fourth-line center prospect because he brings a little bit more offense than Goche. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Patan is uh, I do think he's a bit light. I think Timoshov has a bit of an edge because he, he wins more battles. He just gets the puck back for his team, uh, a little bit more cycle time. Um, and and Timoshov's a pretty good passer in his own right. But if if Goche or Shore are going to be on that fourth line, and they, I don't see much offensive skill from either of them, I don't mind having Patan there, uh, at least for the short term, because it does kind of – give you a little bit more offense on the line where you need a little bit more offense. I think the problem with Batan is if you're going to be using them for heavy defensive zone starts, it's tough to get them in. Same with Spezza. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a, a big reason why Patan hasn't been on that fourth line. And the same thing with Spezza. They, if, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of defensive zone starts. And if Mike Babcock doesn't trust Spezza, or even trust Goche more than Spezza and Timoshov more than Patan, then he's going to be making those roster decisions. So I think with the fourth line, the usage is is huge when we're talking about what that potentially could look like um, as we go further into the season. Um, I, I personally would like to see them ice a stronger, like a more balanced fourth line. Um Similar to even the Gauthier, Ennis, and Moore line last year, I thought that was awesome. And once they become fully healthy, we'll see more on that fourth line most likely, which will be a huge boost. But I think that other winger position needs to be someone that can work with more in the offensive zone. That way when... I mean, most teams have two or three good good lines, and that's why you're seeing that fourth line being used a lot more and you know, fourth liners are being talked about a lot more because you want to win. You want to win at those margins. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how they use them. So let's go over the call up options here. So 
they do. They are going to call up one, I assume, at least one, uh, up front. I wouldn't. I think Marinthon's going to be back too, just because they have some flexibility now. Um, but the options on the fourth line, I don't think Bracco is in the conversation. Uh, he's been had a bit of a rough year. Um, Bracco, I mean, he really helped their power play, and they could use it. But again, that fourth line is is not for him. Maybe he'd, he'd get a chance to play in the top nine. That'd be a great opportunity for him. But uh, he's been a little bit slow to start the year. Uh, the Marlies have been getting outshot pretty heavily. Uh, and, and Bracco doesn't have the, the play-driving skill set. It's more of a just a he's going to create offense. I mean, uh, I don't want to put all the blame on this on him, but uh, I was looking at their shot differentials against the Marlies. They had some, some brutal ones lately, like, they got outshot 53-26 against Laval. They got outshot 35-18 against Syracuse. Uh, they got outshot in both games against Grand Rapids this weekend. Uh, it's 31-20 against Rockford. Uh, so they're getting outshot pretty heavily right now, and, and Cascasuo is kind of stealing them games. But uh, I don't think I don't think that group's been amazing. Uh, having Patan helps. Um I think Kenny Agostino would be cool. I don't think he's got 11 points in 11 games. I don't really know if he's going to be an option. I think they'll probably go with more of, I mean, first the first question is, is this player going to play? If, if they're just going to sit in the press box, it's probably Patan. Um, if they did want to give a look to someone, I think then they'd put Spets in the press box or Shore in the press box, and then maybe they try out an Engvall. Um, I, do think, I do think some people would like to see Korshkov. What do you think of Korshkov? Um, I'm probably lower on him than most people. I mean, he, he had that really hot start. And again, I wanted to see more of from Korshkov other than the goals. And, and like you mentioned that last episode, he hasn't been a big goal scorer in the past. Um, if, if they were looking for a big guy up front, I would have Engvall ahead of him. I would have Engvall if, if they're looking for that type of player yeah. uh, ahead of Korshkov. I mean, that's really that the only, unless you want to include Tyler Gaudet, who, Who's been good with the with the Marlies kind of in a different role than Korshkov and Engvall, but um, I've been happy with it. They don't need. They don't really need a. They don't really need a good debt type. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and as far as Bracco goes, even if the Leafs were using that fourth line, not the way that they are right now, I, I don't think I would have Bracco up still. Like you said, at five on five, I haven't been too impressed with him. Um, other than the the two weekends that Patan was up. And they had that Agostino, Bracco, Patan line that was that was just kind of tearing apart the AHL for a weekend, and then the next weekend after that, Bracco's been pretty quiet. Other than those two weekends, he he picks up his points as, but still we we still need to see more from Bracco before we can talk about him being called up. Yeah. So bit of trivia for you here, putting you on the spot. Uh oh. Uh, so in points per game with the Marlies this year. Patan's first, but he's only played three games. Who's second in points per game on that team? Uh, the easy answer would be probably Aberg, but I feel like you wouldn't be asking me this if that was the answer. So, so Aberg leads in points with thirteen, but it's not per game. Aberg, let's go. I'm trying to think of who's been injured. Maybe Brooks. No, no. Okay, they got to play at least at least five games. Okay, so okay. Uh. Let's go Sandine. It is Sandine. Wow. It is Sandine. I feel like that was going to be my answer either way. 
Even if he had zero points, that was going to be my my answer. So he's been a uh, not a surprise, but he's been as good as expected. Yeah, he he was out of the lineup. Was it Friday night with the Marlies? So they've 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 been they've had a, a rough week, and I mean in the post game conferences, Sheldon Keefe hasn't been too happy. But you know when you play like what it was it five or six road games in a row, sooner or later it has to catch up. So now they got a big homestand, so we'll see how they play. Well, they have up front. They they're missing a few players, so they can definitely blame some injuries at least. I mean. Costello, they haven't had all year. He's a top line or at least top six center. Adam Brooks has only played four games. He's a he's a top six center. Uh, then they have Mason Marchment, who's one of their better wingers. Uh, he's been missing, so I, they do have some excuses there. Uh, I think their team should be doing better just based on their roster, especially when they have Batan back. Uh, it sounds like they might be losing him, uh, but. I mean, with Korshkov, I will say this. I think Korshkov, the issue is for me is he's really not getting that many. He's, he's really not scoring that much. Like, he's got 7 and 13, so people are going to think I'm wrong. But um, when I mean scoring, I mean just getting points. Like he's got two assists in 13 games. Uh, and his seven goals, I think a lot of them are more Bracco. Like, yes, he's doing good net front work, but uh Bracco's outstanding playmaker on the power play we saw him make Chris Mueller a 30 goal scorer so uh I think I think Korshkov could be a trade chip um he is going to be a little bit expensive next year in terms of compared to other entry-level guys like I think Engvall when he resigns will be will make less than Korshkov um so I think that might hurt his chances just given how close to the cap the Leafs are um I think it's going to be Batan. I wouldn't mind an end ball. Uh, we got to look at at the lines today. Would you go with, I mean, you kind of have to do Kapanen with Tavares, do you not? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially after seeing them play pretty well on Friday night. Um, oh, sorry, last night, whenever they played. Um, yeah, you have to go with that. I, w- I would go Tavares um, and Kapanen together. And then keep Mikhaev. Actually, Mikhaev was playing with Tavares, was he not? Um, they, they were changing it up, but it was largely, it was largely they did a bit of a few things today. So they ended up putting Kerfoot with Tavares for a little bit. I'm kind of interested in that just because Kerfoot's a good passer. He's he he's, he plays pretty heavy. Uh, so I wouldn't mind. We know Kerfoot played with McKinnon last year quite a bit. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting a look at that. Then, then it's just a depth question, though. Like, are you okay with Spezza or Gauthier being your third line center? Um, I wonder if they could maybe put Patan. Like, Patan plays center with the Marlies. I wouldn't mind him as the third line center, kind of in an offensive role. Um, but it's just, it's just not the same without Marner. Obviously, it's he's such a good transition player, such a good playmaker. Uh, just a magician out there at times. So I think I'd go Kapanen, Kapanen Hyman. I think Hyman's probably back, and then probably a third line of of Kerfoot, Mikhaev, Moore, and then and then maybe Spets on the fourth line. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that Hyman's back. It with with Marner out, and they have the the extra room. I'm sure. I'm hoping Hyman's back for for Wednesday because that really helps out. Because 
when they put when they elevated Kerfoot to today to the Tavares line on the left wing and, and they had Spets on the third line. Mm-hmm. I just feel like last time when they played Boston in that home and home, they had Spets on that third line and then Goche Shore on that fourth line. They just did, really didn't it, it's tough when you're playing Bergeron on that first line and you know that whoever goes up against them and they didn't have Tavares there either. Whoever goes up against now, Bergeron you, is when you have Shore, Gauthier, and Spets in the same lineup, I think there's a lot of transition skill missing because that's not a lot of speed. Um, and you can't put all three of them on a line because like, there's no use having three face-off specialists on a line. Uh, so, I mean, I, I want Timoshov in there as well. Uh, I wonder if... like it, It's tough to see at this point because I think everyone's rooting for Spezza, but... I wouldn't be surprised if Patan goes in the lineup over Spezza just because they need a little bit of, of speed and a little bit of skill. Uh, and, I, and I think Spezza lacks the former. I think his skating's... On on the third line. Yeah, on the third line, or you put Timoshov up, and then you just have... Like, you can't have a line of Spezza, Goche, and Shore. I just... I don't know how that would work. Like, you're going to have no speed. You're going to have no transition skill. You're going to have three face-off specialists when you just don't need three. Um, so either you put Spets on the third line. Yeah. Well, it looks like it looks like Kerfoot will probably be the, the third line, right? It'll look like Kerfoot would be at center, and then they'd have probably Makayev on the left, and then probably bump up more to play, on, to play there, right? Yeah, they did put Kerfoot again with Tavares a little bit tonight, but um, they have options. Yeah. They have options. It's just... Yeah, I mean, if if Marner if if Hyman's back, then Kerfoot doesn't have to play there, and then you have Kerfoot on that third line, with, and then the fourth line. I mean, they'll probably keep it the same. Well, I guess if Moore's jumping up, then they're gonna have to have someone there, which could be Patan. But yeah, I mean, as as long as you don't have a third line center of Spezza and then a fourth line center of Gauthier with Shore, playing against good teams for this week. So I really hope that Hyman comes back, so they don't have to do that. Because then you at least you have a third line that, if Kerfoot's there, that can generate some offense. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that last time when Tavares was out that against Boston, that Kerfoot line. I think it was Kerfoot. Uh, I might be wrong here, but I think it was Kerfoot, Nylander, and Mikhaev, if I'm not mistaken. And they were very good against Boston. And they're going to need to win those battles because whoever's playing against Bo- Bergeron is most likely going to get outplayed. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that game. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that... That, that Tavares signing, I know I'm kind of going off track here, but that Tavares signing is always going to be worth it just because it frees up. When he's in the lineup, it frees up Matthews, especially if they're playing a team like Boston and Tavares can go up against Bergeron and Matthews doesn't have to see him. That's... To me, like one of the biggest val- like one of the biggest reasons Tavares has so much value for this team. Right, and I mean we don't have to justify his signing, but when he was out of the lineup, I think it just speaks to how much of an effect. I mean, the least had a serious excuse there when they weren't playing well because he's such an impactful player. I think he's still uh, their best player in my eyes. Uh, but I'm gonna transition us away from the short term here because I'm gonna have nightmares if I keep thinking about that Boston game coming up. Um, I want to talk a little bit and about the Islanders one, <laughs> and the Islanders one, uh, and the in the back to back with Pittsburgh. That's an underrated, terrifying game. 
it's gonna be a fun episode next week. Yeah, it might be. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be just an hour of crying, I think. But um, so I was looking at an article coming out soon um, about the Leafs cap situation. So I was looking at how it kind of started. Was I was thinking about potential trades? So uh, David Zavard's a player I like for a long time. Uh, he's playing for Columbus. I don't expect Columbus to be a contender, and he'd kind of represent a similar deal. Uh, to Muzzin last year, where it's it's not a rental, it's a rental plus one. So uh, he's a right-shooting defenseman, he's a defensive defenseman, he's had good numbers in terms of expected goals against, so I, th- I think he's a good defender, he penalty kills. Um, because he makes $4.2 million, uh, you would have to move CC, so it would be kind of like, here, take CC for the rest of the year, and he'll give you some prospects as well, or, or picks. Um but the, the but the problem is is that that four point two million unless Columbus retains that counts towards next year's books and then you get into well can I still afford Jake Muzzin can I still afford uh, someone like Justin Hall or I mean you probably can't get both Muzzin and Barry but I mean Barry would factor into that equation as well so uh, I was looking at the Leafs cap situation and so. The it is pretty simple compared to last year. Like I think last year there's a lot more question marks. Uh, we didn't know what they were going to do with Marlowe or or Zaitsev. Uh, we knew they kind of had to cut somewhere, but we didn't know where. I think now it's a little bit easier to predict. Um, so to start the the cap this year is eighty one point five million. Uh, next year we can either expect somewhere between eighty three and eighty five. I think eighty three be on the low end. Eighty five is is probably on the higher end, where it's a $3.5 million raise. Um, so the top nine, if you put... So I just simplified it here. I put more in the top line instead of Mikhaev, uh, just to keep it simple. I think they're pretty similar players anyways. But if you put more ahead of Mikhaev, then there's no raises to the top nine. So the Hyman, Tavares, Marner line, uh, Janssen, Matthews, Nylander... And then it would be more Kerfoot Kapanen. So those nine, they're locked up, no raises. So from that standpoint, it's great. Um, but then you have to, then you look at the rest of the team, where you only have Riley under contract on the back end, and then Anderson's alone in net. There's no backup signed for next year. So between the top, so when you go top nine plus Riley plus Anderson plus Kessel, they're still paying Kessel. Don't know if you knew that. Uh, 1.2. Uh, you get just under 65 million. So that leaves you about 18, 20 million. Um, and you need five defensemen. You need a fourth line. You need a backup goalie. And then you need all your spares. Uh, so 20 million. So then I tried to break it down a little bit further. So uh, I assumed the fourth line would just be League Min. Uh, you have three guys, so you either get Goche, Shore, Timoshev, Korshkov. Um, budget about 800000 for those three. Um, I did assume Sandine and Lilligren would be on the team. Uh, I think Sandine just proved to us that he could do it this year. I think Lilligren, even though he's hurt now, um, if he doesn't make the team out of camp next year, then I think you, you get a league min guy and you, you kind of put in Lilligren maybe halfway through the year next year. Um, so I put him on the team just for his cap hit as a placeholder. 
Um, and then I gave Dermot about three million as an RFA. So hmm. okay, that leaves you at about seventy-three million for four guys. Um, so about four guys left. So about nine to ten million. You got about ten to ten to twelve left, and you need to fill Makayev, a backup goalie, and your two defensemen. So my question is. The two guys, because I'm thinking you're you're gonna be going after at least one high end defenseman, whether it's Muzzin, whether it's Barry. Uh, I would guess Muzzin. I'd count like seven million for that. So then you got about, you know, three to five million left for Makayev, a backup goalie, and one more defenseman. Um, if you had to choose between Makayev and Hall right now, who would it be? And would you like how concerned are you with spending the minimum on a goalie? Or would you spend a little bit more for a little bit better production? Uh, I'm just trying to take that all in. But so with Makayev, I think I think I'm a little lower on the, the whole backup goalie problem than most people. I think that I'm not going to get too much into it. But I think that if you can spend a little bit more on a defenseman and have more fluidity there and more, if you can have some flexibility there, it would take you know, take a long way than rather than if the backup goal is going to keep being used just for, um, for, for back to backs. I mean, at the end of the day, your backup goal is not going to be playing in the playoffs, but that defenseman will. So, um, when it comes to Makayev, that top nine to me sounds pretty good. Um, I think more is ready for the a top nine role, depending on how much Makayev asks for. Mm-hmm. If, if just ballpark, if I had to, pin him at something right now i would think that you could go for something like 2 million to 2.3 right maybe over like two to three years is that where you have him yeah so i'm looking at so just to kind of recap because i know that was a lot so i have a top nine of hyman tavares marner Janssen, matthews nylander so the regular top six i have more in Mikhail's place, so more Kerfoot Kapanen. Right. And then I have a fourth line of just league minimum guys. So you can put whoever you want there. Goche, Shore, Timashov, Engvall, just pick three of them. So pretty much very similar to this year, except for more. Like more instead of Mikhail, pretty much. Uh, right. So I just haven't signed Mikhail yet. Right. Um, and then on the back end, I'd have Riley, Dermott, and the two kids, Sandy and Lilligren. So you need two defensemen that play. Um, I've already accounted for kind of the, the spares, so it's just 10 to 12 million for Mikhaev, backup goalie, and two defensemen. So for me, I'm looking at Justin Hall and I'm saying, okay, I think he can play. I think he can penalty kill. Uh, I think he's at least a third pairing defenseman at this point um, that I'm okay with. I think maybe you could play him with someone like Muzzin or Riley and because he is, he is quite big. He's a pretty good skater. He's a decent puck mover. I think he's got pretty good neutral zone defense, and his size helps him around the net. So I've been impressed with him. I'd be looking to extend him as soon as possible. I think his value is just going to go up as he gets more games under his belt. Uh, I wouldn't mind giving him you know, $1 million or, or even up to $1.5 million. Um, I don't know what it would take, but I think... Just getting one of those spots locked up with somebody you're comfortable with, especially on the back end, um, because you're going to need someone to penalty kill. Like I don't think I don't see Babcock 
putting a ton of of faith into Sandy and, and Lilligren as rookies to penalty kill. Um, Dermot and Riley aren't star penalty killers either. Um, like you probably have them on the second unit, but neither of them have really been top unit guys of late. Um, so for me, Hall's just the perfect fit. Um, you're going to need penalty killers. You're going to need the right shot. I'd be looking to to re-sign him as soon as possible. I'm not sure what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that if you can, just for some stability because of how many guys that are are going to be, um, their expiring contracts are coming up at the end of the year. If you can sign Hall, if they can get him for 1 mil to 1.5, I think that that would happen pretty soon. I'm hoping that it doesn't get higher than that. But but uh, in terms of the forwards, I'm bouncing around here, but I wouldn't mind. I, I think that I wouldn't mind seeing Makayev walk. I mean, he's been a fan favorite thus far, but it, if he does sign for two... Well, he won't. He, he won't. He won't walk. You just you'd have to move him. Right, right. Like he, he'll be RFA. Right. Um, but I mean, that top nine sounds pretty good, and and this, like Dubis and and his team have proven that they can sign guys at league mill uh, min to to play on that fourth line. And if you already have a top nine that's looks pretty solid, then and I know that they've already been scouting that guy in the KHL. I can't remember his name now. I know I think it was Gregor Renko was one of them. Um, I can't remember who the other guy is. Yeah, Gregor and Gregor Renko was one of them. The other one was uh, let me pull up his name here. It sounded like the Habs were the the major fit there. Yeah, I mean, even if they don't get him, they even the the, the signings of of Aberg and Agostino, it's given me kind of some hope that they are very good at making those signings, and so I'm not too worried about next year's fourth line. But if they can sign, like if they can make that Savard trade and, and get CC CC out of here, and then another year of Savard, then they're looking pretty good for next year. Because now you have Lilligren who might jump into that right defense. You have Dermot locked up. I mean, well, once they sign Dermot, they have a guy that can switch to the right side. And then if you can sign Hall, I, I wouldn't mind that that um, that right side for next year. Well, you need some sort of of penalty killer there, like on the back end you need a right shot um so it'd be Dermot Muzzin Savard and well I guess they've been doing Riley now but well I'm not I'm not including Savard in that oh I see okay so so we're saying no like, Savard be, on my current on my current roster it'd have Riley Dermot Lil- Lilgren and Sandine so you need two young guys back there Riley's not a defensive stalwart either. You would need someone uh, to kind of penalty kill and, and play the right side. I would um, hope that they by next year they're able to acquire a right right-handed defenseman who can play top four minutes, though. Yeah, it's just gonna have to be cheap unless you don't want to re-sign Muzzin, like because right. if if you have ten to twelve million left to spend and Muzzin takes seven of it, now you have you know three to five million. You still need to get a backup goalie. Uh, and then you still got to figure out what you're doing with the other defense spot and with Makayev. So um, to me, it looks like the Leafs, when the cap goes up, and I assume it's going up, it's always gone up um, for as long as I can remember. I think they want to spend most of that money on the defense because I mean, right now they're getting, they have a bit of an artificial break right now where Barry's only making $2.5 million when we know he's more than that. Right. Uh, 
So in order to kind of compensate and keep the defense as good as it is, I think they want to spend whatever the cap raises. I think they want to spend basically all that on defense. So with Makayev, maybe you keep him. Maybe you move a guy like Hyman. Maybe you move a guy like Janssen or Kapanen if, if you really get a good return. But it does seem to me like they're going to move one of them. I'd be interested if they did Hyman. I mean, I'm a big fan of his game, but um, especially seeing. But again, I mean, Tavares and Marner weren't that good without Hyman, and we'll see what happens when he comes back. If you know, all of a sudden he starts playing well, then they might see that contract's a lot more, a lot more valuable than than maybe we even think it is right now. Well, the the thing about Hyman is, A, you could probably get a good return for him. Yeah, a decent one, yeah. Or at least a pretty good return. B is he's, I mean, he after this season, he's going to have one more year left at the 2.25. I'm guessing his next contract is around the $4 million range, um, if not more. Like, uh, Tom Wilson got, he got five, just over five. Yeah, I mean. Tom Wilson's circumstances were a little different, though. Because of the cap? I mean, they just had a... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that... That probably had a pretty big reason for... I think... That probably drove him up a mill or two. I don't know. I think Hyman's going to be over... over Around four, at least. Yeah, maybe four. I mean, if he's asking four, then... Yeah, you can deal him, but... Maybe, yeah. Um, and he does, he does have a good impact. It's just... I think the question is, do you want to pay his next deal? Yeah. They they have flexibility. I mean, they have the wingers. Like I, I wouldn't mind seeing Mikheyev or more jump into that spot today. Um, so I mean, like next year, if they have to make that decision, they have flexibility in terms of someone to replace Hyman if they want to go that route. Um, so I don't think they're in that much trouble in terms of like in in comparison to what some people think, but they definitely have their work cut out for them. But We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. So before we get out of here, do you have any any last thoughts on either tonight's game or I know they have three games uh, coming up here that, that we've mentioned, Islanders, Boston, and, and Pittsburgh on the back-to-back. Do you have any last suggestions on what you'd like to see or any last thoughts on, on either the game tonight or what you've seen recently? Uh, there's going to be some a lot of possibilities here just because Marner's out and you're going to have some different looks. Uh, any kind of outside-the-box thoughts? Um, I'll say that, I mean, we're not going to see that fourth-line change, so I won't really get into that. But I think that this week we're just going to learn a lot about this team. They're playing three really good teams, and they're now they've lost Marner, so we can't say that they're full health, but... I said last week that they needed to get some wins this week and they got three out of six points and now playing three really good teams. So I think the next podcast is going to be really good because we can really assess this team for for what they are. Even even though they don't have Marner, I'm expecting them that they should be able to compete even with the roster that they have. Um, I want to see Kapanen on that, that second line with Tavares and Tavares has had two goals this week. He scored last night and tonight, but I, I still want to see more from him. I feel like he's, as soon as he enters the zone, he's he's looking to throw the puck on net. Not not even like he's trying to score. It's just more of a, a way to to get the puck in deep and start his forecheck. Um, once Hyman's back on that line, I think that 
he'll that that method and they'll be able to cycle the puck a lot more and we'll start to see that line hopefully become quite good and start to produce a little bit more at five on five so yeah i think i think the only thing i'll say i'll say i want dermot's been playing about 12 13 minutes i like to see him get up uh to at least 15 so that'll be something i'll be looking for for next podcast um last question here so we got we got three games coming up in the next week how many points do they need for you to be happy with uh, the three games, so we got Islanders, Boston, Pittsburgh. How many points for you to be happy on the next episode? I think they're good enough to get four. Um, yeah, four. I, I don't like. They're an upper echelon team, and and you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens during the regular season, they're going to be judged based on their ability to beat a top team like Tampa Bay or Boston. Um, so we, you know, the last two episodes, we've been talking about how the Leafs are going to be fine. They're going to be fine once they become healthy. But again, they're going to be judged on on how they can be. And it, it's a tough situation that they're in, playing some of the best teams in in the league that are in their division. But at the end of the day, that's that's how they're judged, and they they need to be able to to beat those types of teams. So yeah, I'll, I'll settle for I'll settle for three. I think we're gonna. We might end up being a little bit upset next episode, but uh, well, we're Leaf fans, so that's that's what we do best. So, and I guess we're used to it. Yeah, we should probably get out of here. So, thanks everyone for listening. This has been episode three of the Everything Leaves podcast, and we'll see you next week. 